0: Hello and welcome to this week's show. My original reason for starting the Shaman's Brew was to create a platform in which to share my shamanic knowledge with the world. As many of my friends and listeners know, I was trained for eight years in a one-on-one apprenticeship with Dr. Carlos Castaneda in the Toltec shamanic tradition of his lineage. This knowledge has been passed down by word-of-mouth teachings teacher to student for about the last 500 years. During that time, the general public was not even aware that this knowledge existed. Then along came a young and ambitious Anthropology student studying out of UCLA by the name of Carlos Castaneda. While on a field trip, Carlos, by chance or perhaps through synchronicity, encountered his Toltec shamanic teacher named Don Juan in the Arizona desert. Don Juan eventually took Carlos under his wing and shared with him this ancient Toltec shamanic knowledge the same way that has been passed down teacher to student for the last five centuries. Carlos's apprenticeship marked the end of the secret teachings that had been going on since the fall of Teotihuacan, the great Toltec City, near where Mexico City now stands. Carlos once told me that Spirit was responsible for the choosing of each apprentice in the lineage, and he believed that he was chosen because it was time to disseminate the knowledge to the world. However, He said it was not his task to teach the knowledge, but rather to make the public aware that it existed kind of like uh, a type of preconditioning of the general public's reality. This action is necessary because you cannot teach the modern world thinkers something so alien as the manipulation of realities known only to the shaman without first laying down the parameters this alien world in order to establish an accepted point of reference of a possible separate reality. This is the task that Spirit gave to Carlos, to make the world aware of a reality completely different from their own, the true reality of who and what we are. He did this through his 11 best-selling books telling the story of his own adventures with his teacher Don Juan which took place over a 10-year period. The first 3 of his books eventually earned him his PhD in anthropology out of UCLA. Carlos accomplished his goal and made the world aware of the secret Toltec shamanic teachings in a big way. So influential was his books that Time magazine did a cover story on him dubbing him the godfather of the new age. Over the last 4 decades, Many of his followers read his books over and over and tried to align their own path with the Toltec path of knowledge, using his books as a Bible to learn the secret knowledge. This upset Carlos, as he told me on a couple occasions that there is no knowledge in those books. They are just a representation of knowledge and that the real or core knowledge or how-to information had not been fully released. He said that his task was to make the public aware and the teaching would come later through some of his students as spirit indicated. He said that I would most likely be one of those students to disseminate the secret core teachings when the time was right. This was the original purpose for my creation of the Shaman's Brew radio show, To reach the public as well as his followers which number 30 million worldwide and share with them the knowledge that he entrusted with me over my eight-year apprenticeship. This knowledge cannot be totally disseminated over a radio show, but it does serve as a great support platform and tool to reach the millions that seek this knowledge. The bulk of the teachings will be released in a series of books and lessons in the near future. However, until this is available, and even after, I can reach every single one of you and begin to help shape your perception and awareness of the world around you through the wonderful medium of radio. For more than a year, I have come into your homes each week sharing with you some of the stories of my apprenticeship and of my scientific research as a paranormal investigator. Now in this show I will begin to share with you the wealth of knowledge from my Toltec shamanic lineage that started 500 years ago as a result of a war between sorcerers and priests in the great city of Teotihuacan. This knowledge itself is very ancient going back thousands of years and in the original or ancient lineage the modern lineage if you can call a 500 euro lineage modern has been accurately preserved over each generation and focuses primarily on perception and awareness where the sorcerers or shamans of the ancient lineage focused on darker and more self-serving practices involving energy and mind manipulations as they try to control both the elements as well as other people. Most of this information will not be taught to the public for obvious reasons. Many of these teachings have been taught over an open campfire as they were with me. It seems the sounds and visuals of the fire help to shift one's reality and and cements it into the matrix of our awareness. While it is not necessary, I am going to experiment with this concept by introducing you to what I call my weekly fireside talks, which will be recorded in front of a fire, much like uh, the one you've been hearing in the background tonight. For those of you who wish to join me on this path of discovery, I bid you welcome. Sit back and close your eyes and imagine sitting with me in the wilderness in front of a fire as I share my stories and information. In tonight's fireside talk, I'm going to tell you about my meeting and apprenticeship with Dr. Castaneda. After the talk, I am going to share with you a very rare interview with Carlos Castaneda that was done many years ago after the publishing of his first book. There have been only two interviews that I have been able to find over the years. One I played in a previous show, but this one has never been broadcast. So let's begin our journey into the night through the fires of awareness. My teacher and a friend for eight years was Dr. Carlos Castaneda. Because he influenced me so heavily, taught me ways uh, to see the world differently, changed my perceptions, taught me about new energy systems. I think it's best if I explain a little bit about him and uh, then go into how we were we got involved and how i became uh, his apprentice for eight years and that way you might have a better idea when i talk to you about uh, about things that you may have never heard of before uh, or about things that you have been taught differently or things you may be familiar with at least you'll have an idea where i'm coming from and where my knowledge base originates Carlos was an enigma. When you consider that not only was he a best-selling world-famous author, had millions of followers, the man who Time Magazine called the Godfather of the New Age, he really was a recluse. Uh, There was also very little information actually known about him, and much of that information was controversial. Because of this, many people, um, the minority, the majority of people, really didn't care. But uh, there were those that didn't like um, Carlos's teachings. There were some that didn't like that he was uh, a scientist, an anthropologist talking about things that other anthropologists didn't talk about. But what a lot of it boils down to is there was a lot of jealousy among a lot of people that uh, that uh, spoke out against Carlos. Uh, They didn't like the idea that he was awarded his PhD for his third book which he used as a thesis called The Journey to Excellency. They didn't think that he should be making money off of uh, his thesis, but that's, uh, that was their opinion. I once asked Carlos if that uh, bothered him, and he said that uh, it was a waste of his energy to even confront or deal with these people. He said that the uh, important thing was to travel on a path with heart, and that those seeking knowledge would see past all the naysayers. So he he really didn't care uh, what was being said, and that's uh, that's why he also didn't defend himself. Now, many of you will be familiar with Carlos. Uh, some of you will be. Very familiar with his work. Some of you may have heard his name and some of you may have never heard of him at all. And I'm not going to go into a a biography of his life. Uh, If you want to know about Carlos Castaneda, just type it in Google and you'll get um, hundreds of thousands or millions of hits. There's information all over about him. What I want to talk about is my involvement with Carlos. How we met, why we met, what he taught me, and um, that type of thing. So I think it might be best to start at the beginning. Now remember, Carlos um, was awarded his Ph.D. in anthropology from the University of California in uh, Los Angeles. And he, he did um, his postgraduate work there uh, between his many trips into the, uh, the desert to meet with Don Juan and Don Gennaro. And it was on one of the times when he was researching at UCLA when our paths first crossed. This was back in the 1970s, and I was in the uh, library at UCLA doing research on, uh, on a project. Uh, actually, well, it was I was researching uh, psilocybin mexicana, the the magic mushroom. I had an interest in it because I had uh, been studying parapsychology, and I had come across uh, several news articles about how different uh, native cultures use different psychotropic drugs, uh, psilocybin Mexicana being one of them, to increase one's ESP abilities, as we called it back then. Anyway, I was doing research in the library and I was looking for a book. walking down an aisle, and I reached up to grab the book, and just as I reached up to grab it, another hand came up and grabbed it at the same time, and we both pulled the book out, and we both hung on to it. We didn't let go. I waited for this gentleman to let go, and he waited for me to let go, and we just kind of stood there for a moment, and we both started laughing, and I gave him the book. He introduced himself as Carlos Castaneda. And I introduced myself, and I I told him that, um, you know, he's free to use the book. I'll give it to him first, and he said he needed it for some uh, background research he was doing. And uh, we sat down at the same table. He was doing his research. I was doing mine. And we talked for a while and became friends. We didn't see much uh, of each other after that uh... just occasionally and it was just you know casual friendship type thing that was my first meeting with carlos castaneda in the time ahead we we both went our own ways i suppose he continued uh, traveling down into mexico or the many places that he went to and i left ucla and the area in fact and went on to other things in my life And it would be years before I would see Carlos again in fact I had actually um, moved to Las Vegas Uh, I worked there for a while and came back and met my wife and uh, we got married and moved out to the desert this was in Southern California we moved in uh, to the desert and I worked in Palm Springs it must have been oh I don't know I'd have to sit down and figure it out probably eight uh, eight years eight nine years had passed since I last saw, saw Carlos and I was sitting at work one day by myself uh, at my desk and I had my back to the the front doors and uh, I heard the door open but uh I didn't turn around, I was involved in what I was doing, and suddenly I felt the, you know, how the hair stands up on the back of your neck, and I got kind of chills down my back, and I froze. It was the strangest thing because I was almost half afraid to turn around to see what was causing that reaction in me, but at the same time, I knew it was Carlos. Not seeing him for years, And suddenly, he walks in the store, and without turning around, I I knew in my heart it was him. Uh, In fact, as I turned, I said, Carlos. And I turned around, and there he was, standing right in the doorway, grinning from ear to ear. He looked at me, and still grinning, he said, Marcos, you got fat. And I said, yeah, yeah, I also got married, and that's what married life does to you sometimes. I actually wasn't fat. I just put on a few more pounds since the last time he would saw me. We talked for hours. And um, suddenly it dawned on me that, uh, you know, how he even knew where to find me. And he hadn't said what he was doing there. So I just came right out and asked him. I said, uh, you know, Carlos, what are you doing here? Uh, It's good to see you again, but this is not uh, your stomping grounds. You're a long ways from home. He said, uh, Marcos, I came to see you because the Spirit had pointed you out to me a long time ago. But it would be a long time before... I was given the omen to begin to uh, to teach you different things. And when he said that, I'm you know, you know, I'm kind of wondering what what's he gonna teach me because I hadn't kept too much up on what he'd been doing over the years. I just occasionally would uh, would see things, but my you know, after getting married, my life uh, kind of changed. And although I was still interested in the paranormal and parapsychology and and different things, I kind of put those things on the back burner. But the concept of him teaching me suddenly ignited that again. It was uh, an air of excitement that I hadn't felt in a long time. So I asked him what he was going to teach me, and when do we start, and, and how is he going to do it, and do I have to go in the desert and all this, and he started laughing and said, you know, alto, alto, Marcos. Slow down a bit. One thing at a time. He said that now, now was not the time, but it would be soon. And that he would meet me again after I'd moved to the north. Now, This was very odd because I had no plans of moving, and any moving that my wife and I had even talked about was toward um, Las Vegas or possibly Lake Havasu. And here he's talking about the north. And I asked him about it, and he says, Uh, shh, not now. Just wait. The time will be soon, and you'll be moving to the north, and we will meet again there. And then he said, I have to go. And he stood up and walked out the doors and said he would see me again. You know, we shook hands and and he left. And that's when I noticed that um, he hadn't pulled up in a car. And so I went out uh, out in front and saw him turn the corner to go around the building. And I figured maybe he parked over there. So I, I kind of walked over there. I was, I was curious you know, what kind of car he was driving. And I was probably about ten feet away from the uh, corner of the building and got around the corner, and he wasn't there anymore. Um, to this day, I still don't know where he went or how he got there or anything. It was just just part of the thing that I would I would uh, learn. You know, it was Carlos. Well, anyway, after about six months went by, I still had not heard from Carlos and I could not figure out what he was talking about about moving to the north. And so I tried to locate him, I, which I could not do. I tried to uh, find a listing. I I checked every different source I could find and nobody could tell me anything or help me with how to contact him. And that uh, really shouldn't have surprised me, but I even got desperate and I sat down and meditated and tried to contact him telepathically. And, you know that didn't work either and then things started to change I took my family on a uh, vacation to visit my aunt and uncle and my mother who had recently moved up to northern Idaho and it was about a 1200 mile trip but uh, we went up there and uh, fell in love with the place uh, it was you know, beautiful trees, rivers, lakes, um, a lot different from where we lived and you know, better school system for the kids. So we decided that we would make the move. Now how Carlos had any clue that we would be moving to the north, because this was the last place in the world that uh, we, you know, would consider moving but the way it worked out we did and how he knew about it I have no clue so it was uh, in February and uh, we left the uh, Southern California desert area where I think it was like about 75 degrees out when we left and headed north after we arrived at our destination in North Idaho uh, there was about four feet of snow on the ground. The temperature was minus fifty degrees. That's air temperature, not wind chill. And um, here I'm pulling a trailer in a van with big wide tires. Not one of the smartest moves in my life, but uh, we, we made it. We stayed with my aunt and uncle for about the first month and then got a place of our own and um, I was kind of half expecting to see Carlos at any time, but it it would be several months before it would happen, and it happened, uh, he's always um, dramatic when he does things, but the way it happened is, I went out to get dinner, I think it was, um, I think it was at Wendy's if I remember correctly, I was picking up some fast food and was going to take it home and and, uh, watch a movie. But um, I pulled up to uh, Wendy's and parked beside this uh, black Corvette and uh, I was getting ready to get out and I looked over and here's this, this guy, this Mexican sitting there looking at me with a big huge grin and I didn't realize. At the time, who it was, it took a it took a couple minutes to, or a few seconds to set in, and all of a sudden I realized it was Carlos. Uh, he was sitting next to me where I I parked at uh, at Wendy's, and he just sat there smiling at me and didn't say anything, just a big you know Jack Nicholson style grin. And uh, I finally got out of the car and walked over to him, and he said, "Get in." I did. And so my apprenticeship with him began. Sometimes I think it was uh, almost like a game to him. Because when he would come to town, um, he wouldn't tell me he's coming to town. And he would just rely on uh, a feeling I would get. I don't know if he would transmit it. I guess he would send the a sensation to me, and it was just like something tugging at the back of your, your consciousness, um, and I knew Carlos was in town. The problem is, he would never tell me where, and it was like part of my training, I I had to find him, and so I'd get in the car, and this was usually at night, and I'd take off and uh, just start driving, and if it felt like turning left, I'd turn left. It's like, you know, you're getting hotter, you're getting colder type uh, game. Uh, sometimes I'd spend two hours looking for them, And then we'd end up, you know, maybe talking for a half hour and uh, doing different things. And that would be the end of my uh, lesson for that day. Um, probably after a couple of years, I would say, it got to the point where I... I was getting pretty good at finding him, and so he had to change his tactics and make it a little tougher on me. I would, uh, for example, I, one time I got in the car and took off and I knew he was downtown on Sherman Avenue in Coeur I just I just knew it. And I drive down to where I thought he was, and I couldn't see him. He wasn't anywhere to be seen. Finally, this, this old derelict uh, looked like a, a bum in you know, ragged clothes came up and uh, knocked on my window and asked if he could get a ride and I, I said, no, I don't think so. I'm um, looking for someone and he said, Marcos, and I said, oh God, he got me again. but that was the way that we met many times. Other times I did know uh, I had to leave and um, either travel or fly to different locations. Um, one of the spots was uh, Mount Rainier. We went there several times and I've some of my shows have been about uh, I've spoken to my teacher and things that happened there. Um, we've been down in Arizona, down in Mexico, up um, uh, part of BC. Just uh, different locations uh, it seems like uh, for different lessons or teachings. The thing that oh, I'd say more confused me than anything else is that um, I had read his books by that time and he was not teaching me the same thing or the same way that uh, Don Juan taught him. Um, it was it was like a a mild version of it, and he was teaching me things that I couldn't figure out why he was teaching me. You know, it's like the movie The Karate Kid uh, when Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel, you know, lessons by painting the fence or sanding the floor and, and you know, wax on wax off type stuff. He wasn't teaching me martial arts, but he was he was teaching me to do things that uh, I didn't really understand why I was doing them. Um, In time I would come to know why. When I asked Carlos about why I was being taught differently, why I wasn't uh, being taught the things he was, Uh, some of the things I was by the way, but uh, uh, like a milder version of it, there were a few times that my life was put in in danger. Different times I had to confront uh, situations when one mistake could have cost me my life or injury. But he explained to me that our path was part of a 480-year-old lineage. And the shamans of old were very, of the original path, it, were, um, were very brutal. They weren't as refined in their techniques. They were very powerful. But... Um, Over the years, over the centuries, as the information was passed on from teacher to student, it's changed each time. Now, Toltec shamanism uh, relies heavily on perception and awareness, more so than uh, the power that um, the ancients used. That power is still there, but they used states of awareness to manipulate energy instead of uh, using the, the raw power. Carlos's lineage uh, with his group, and again I'm not going to go into all the details, all that information is available for anybody that wants to know, but his was kind of a transitional, uh, or Carlos himself was a transitional shaman uh, in this lineage. By that I mean he was kind of breaking the tradition, uh, usually only the Indians were taught. And uh, it was rare that the, uh, the Mexicans were brought into it, you know, other nationalities. Plus the methods that were used really weren't, were becoming, as, as the world was changing, really weren't uh, as feasible. Uh, it's, it's like, for example, Carlos would take off for a month at a time. And just go uh, out in the desert. No one would know where he was, or you know, if he never came back. No one would know where to look. Uh, with me, I couldn't do that. I had a, I had a family. You know, I w- would sometimes be gone for a few days, but I couldn't take off for weeks or months at a time. And the teachings that uh, the way things were taught to Carlos and all the sorcerers and shamans before him, in the same lineage. Uh, required uh, special disciplines, uh, life-threatening situations, very grueling techniques, and uh, and experiences that uh, had to be gone through. When he went through these techniques, he was a transitional shaman because he started bringing the knowledge uh, that knowledge that had been taught one-on-one from teacher to student. For 480 years, he was now bringing and making available to the um, to the world, to the public. Uh, he was not really teaching anything in his books. It was more of a chronicle of his adventures, his stories uh, of his apprenticeship with his teacher. But he exposed the world to things that um, people never knew. General average person never knew of. Um, the Toltec uh, Shamanic Techniques. And Carlos made the world aware. He changed the thinking of the world. That's why Time Magazine called him the Godfather of the New Age. That was his purpose. His purpose was to be a transitional shaman and take the knowledge public. He said, when it came to me, I again was a part of the transition not going through everything that he had gone through and um, still retaining the information I was to pass the information on to whoever it was that that I taught or in any books that I might read or uh, excuse me write Uh, I would pass this information that way now like I said Carlos never really taught anything in fact he He told me on several occasions, he says, there's no knowledge in my books. He says, they're stories. The real knowledge has to be taught and experienced. So his books really contain uh, very little knowledge as to the technique. The people after Carlos are the ones that carry the knowledge, the knowledge to be shared with the general public. Carlos just made the public aware of it. Now, I'm not the only student that Carlos had. A lot of times his students didn't even know each other. Uh, Some of his students, um, probably the ones closest to him, three females, and they left when he left. No one knows where they are. Their uh, families, at least one of the families, is still uh, trying to locate uh, their daughter and i don't think anything bad happened it's just they went they had their own plans uh, some of his uh, acquaintances and, and students are still out there and some will still surface i'm sure just as uh, i have over the years it's it's been a uh, kind of a gradual process Carlos asked that I not release any of the information as far as the the, the meat and potatoes uh, of the teachings of the techniques. Some of them are available to the public right now. Some of them aren't. Uh, he said not to um, to release it until after he's left this world. I, of course, gave him my word that uh, that I wouldn't and. I spoke to uh, no one except my immediate family uh, about my apprenticeship with uh, Carlos and my interactions. In fact, a lot of times when I had to leave uh, I think the longest I was ever away with him was about ten days. Uh, Usually it was more like four or five days. No one really knew where I was except for my family and my wife had to make uh, excuses when someone asked me where I was because she couldn't tell them. You know, I was with uh, Carlos because no one was supposed to know that at the time. Anyway, to sum it up, um, Carlos brought the, the story to the world. And many of his students have been given the task to bring the textbooks. And that's something that I've been working on. I have one that's uh, in the process of being uh, published, and I have several more to follow. But uh, that's in the future. We'll talk about that another time. So I had many adventures with Carlos. Some of them scary, some of them funny, but I always learned something. And he taught me so many things uh, about awareness, perception, energy manipulation, um, yeah, even shape shifting. But the important thing is that uh, the knowledge be passed on and not lost. And that's that's why Don Juan, Carlos's teacher, that's that's why he picked him. The spirit, the energy, actually picked Carlos because they knew that Carlos would, uh, would pass this information on on a grand scale. Now, what uh, the reason for the, uh, the acceleration of uh, learning or the, the increased propagation of it is I'm, I'm still kind of in the dark there. I don't know myself, but I spent several years, about eight years, you know, off and on with, uh, with Carlos, and then in 1998, the apprenticeship ended. Carlos was reported to die of cancer. And there's, there's a lot of controversy, just like there was in life. Uh, there was a lot of controversy about that uh, um, with the death certificate and you know, the whole thing. Um, the truth is Carlos did leave this world, but not the way that uh, it was reported in the press it hit every newspaper in the world when he, uh, when he left, and the world wasn't even tona- told about it for uh, months later. And there's reasons for that, too, that I'm not going to go into. But the Toltec Shaman, one, one of their goals is that when they leave this world, that they burn from within. It's called the fire within, and that's what Carlos did. He burned from within and turned his entire energy that contained in a human body, he burned that energy and turned it into another form. He left this world with all the energy. Uh, It's kind of a hard concept uh, to get your hands around, but um, I'll talk about that, I think, in a future show. Just know that... uh, The Carlos didn't die in the sense that uh, people normally die. Carlos left this world as he lived it, as a Toltec shaman, a warrior, a man of knowledge. And my apprenticeship ended when he left the world, but the journey continues. In future shows, I'm going to be bringing you some information that... uh, You've never heard before, uh, and you won't find anywhere on the internet or in books. A few techniques, formulas for power, meditation techniques, techniques for astral projection, even shape shifting. I will also be publishing quite a bit in uh, the near future. Over the next year, I hope to have about three books out. and um, Much of the information will be detailed in there, but a lot of it I'm going to be sharing with my listeners uh, before it hits the uh, the press. So be sure to tune in to my future shows, and I'll be uh, from here on out. I will be dealing heavily in in shamanism, Toltec sorcer (laughs) sorcery, excuse me, sorcery, and uh, other items related to the Toltec path so until my next show thanks for listening and thanks for not falling asleep in this um, kind of personal um, conversation and story and now I'd like to present the interview of Carlos Castaneda performed on January 30th 1969 on KPSA radio by Theodore Roszak.
1: For six years, from 1960 to 1966, uh, Carlos Castaneda uh, served as an apprentice to a Yaqui Indian brujo or sorcerer, named Don Juan. During those years, Mr. Castaneda was a graduate student in anthropology at the University of California at Los Angeles. His experiences with Don Juan led him into a strange world of shamanistic lore and psychedelic experience and adventures in what Mr. Castaneda calls states of non-ordinary reality, some of which were frightening in the extreme and all of which are fascinating in the extreme. His experiences with Don Juan are recounted in a book which has been published this year by the University of California Press called The Teachings of Don Juan, A Yaqui Way of Knowledge. Mr. Castaneda is with us here at KPFA today and has agreed to discuss the book and his uh, experiences with Don Juan. Uh, Let me begin by asking you uh, how you managed to meet this remarkable personality, uh, Don Juan, and can you give us some idea of what sort of a person
2: he is? Um, I met Don Juan in a a rather uh, fortuitous manner. I was doing a, at the time, in 1960, I was doing, a, a col- I was collecting ethnographic data on the use of medicinal plants among the Arizona Indians. And a friend of mine, who was my guide on the, that enterprise, uh, knew about Don Juan. He knew that Don Juan was a very uh, uh, learned man in the use of plants, and he intended to introduce me to him, but we never got around to, to do that. Uh, one day, uh, when I was about to return to Los Angeles, uh, we happened to see him at a bus station. And uh, my friend uh, went and talked to him, and uh, then he introduced me to, to the man. And I began to, to uh, tell him that uh, my interest was uh, Plants, and that uh, especially uh, about peyote, because somebody had told me that uh, this old man was very learned in the use of peyote. And uh, we talked for for about 15 minutes while he was waiting for his bus, or rather, I did all the talking, and uh, he didn't say anything at all. He uh, kept on staring at me from time to time, and uh, that made me very uncomfortable because I didn't know anything about Peioli, and uh, he seemed to have uh, seen through me. Uh, after about 15 minutes, you know, he got up and said that uh, perhaps I could come to his house sometime where we could talk with more ease, and he just left. And uh, uh, I thought that the the attempt to meet him was a, a failure because I didn't get anything out of him. And uh, my friend thought that uh, it was very common to get a reaction like that from the old man because he was very eccentric. But uh, I, I returned again, or well, perhaps a month later, and I began to uh, uh, search for him. I didn't know where he lived, but uh, I uh, I found out later what, where his house was, and I came to, to see him. Uh, he, uh, at I, I first, you know, I approach him as a, uh, as a friend. I, I, I like, uh, for some reason, I like the way he looked at me at the, gas, at, the uh, at the bus depot. There was something very peculiar about the way he, uh, he stares at people, and, uh, he doesn't stare, usually he doesn't look at anybody's straight in the eye, but sometimes he, he does that, and it's very, uh, remarkable. And uh, it it was more that stare which made me go to see him than my interest in anthropological work. So I uh, came various times, and we developed a sort of friendship. He has a great sense of humor, and that eased things up.
1: About how old a man was he when you met him?
2: Oh, he was in his late 60s, 69 or something. Mm. Now,
1: you identify him in the book as
2: a uh, as a
1: brujo. Um, can you give us some idea of what this means and to what extent uh, Don Juan is connected, if at all, with some sort of an ethnic background,
2: uh, uh, a tribal well, uh, background, or is he pretty much of a lone wolf? The the word brujo is the uh, Spanish reception and uh, it... Uh, could be translated in various ways in English could could render a sorcerer or witch medicine man or herbalist or curer and of course the technical word shaman Um, Don Juan does not uh, relate uh, or does not uh, define himself in any of those ways he thinks of himself that perhaps he is a man of knowledge that's the term he uses, a man of knowledge. A man of knowledge, or one who knows. He, he uses that uh, interchangeably. In uh, as far as his uh, tribal uh, allegiances, I think he, the one is very much, uh, I think his emotional ties are with the Yaquis so of Sonora, since his father was a Yaki from one of the towns in in Sonora, one of the Yaqui towns, But his mother was from Arizona, Uh, thus he has sort of a divided origin, which makes him very much a a marginal man. Uh, Then uh, at the present, he uh, he has family in Sonora, but he doesn't live there. Mm. Uh, He lives there part of the time, perhaps. Does he have any um, uh,
1: formal livelihood? How does he earn his way in the world?
2: Um, I I wouldn't be uh, uh, able to to uh, to discuss that. Rather, mm. uh, I I don't think that I could uh, at the moment.
1: Now, um, uh, one um, one point I'd like to clear up uh, it. Uh, uh, it's something that um, I wondered about as I read the uh, the book. Um, the book consists in large part of uh, recordings of your own experiences um, uh, in uh, using the uh, the herbs and mushrooms and so on, and uh, that, uh, that Don Juan introduced you to. And then long conversations with Don Juan. How were you able, just as a technical problem, how were you able to keep track of your experiences over such a long period of time? How were you able to record all of this?
2: Um, it. It uh, seems difficult, but uh, since one of the uh, items uh, of the learning process is recapitulation, whatever you experience, in order to remember everything that happened, um, I um, I had to make mental notes of all the steps, of all the things that I, I saw, all the events that occurred during the, the, the states of, let's say, expanded consciousness or whatever. And uh, then it was easy to translate them into writing. After, uh, because I had them all uh, uh, meticulously uh, filed, sort of, and uh, in my mind. Mm -hmm. That's uh, as the uh, the experience itself goes. But then the questions and answers, I simply wrote them down. Oh, you were able to take notes while you were Uh, not at the very beginning of our relation. You see, I never took notes. I took notes in a covert manner. I. Mm -hmm had a pad of, of paper inside my pockets, you know, my big pockets of my jacket. And I used to write inside my pockets. This is a technique, you mm-hmm. know, that ethnographers use sometimes, yes. to take covert notes. And then, of course, you have to work very hard to decipher it <laughs> while you're <laughs> written. Yes. But it has to be done very quickly, see, very fast. As soon as, they, as soon as you have time, you cannot postpone anything. You cannot let it go for the next day or something, because you lose everything. Since I think I work compulsively, I was capable of writing down everything that took place uh, very, very shortly after mm-hmm. the events themselves. There, I must say that uh, many of the dialogues are, uh,
1: are extremely uh, fascinating uh, documents. Uh, well, Don Juan, uh, uh, as you record his remarks, has a certain amount of eloquence and imagination. want uh, very say,
2: it's very. He's very artful with the use of words, and uh, he uh, thinks of himself as, uh, as a talker, although he doesn't like to talk. But he thinks that talking is his predilection, as other men of knowledge have other predilections, like uh, movement, balance. He's his talking. Thus, it was my good fortune to find a man full with the use of words. And uh, he uh, thinks of himself as as a talker, although he doesn't like to talk. But he thinks that talking is his predilection, as other men of knowledge have other predilections, like uh, movement, balance. He is his talking. Thus, it was my good fortune to find a man that would have the same predilection that I have. Now, one of the things that's most impressive about the the book um,
1: is the uh the remarkable chances that you uh, seem to have taken under Don Juan's uh, tutelage. That is, he introduced you to various chemical substances, um, uh, some of which uh, clearly, I suppose, could have been fatal if they had not been used uh, carefully. How did you manage to work up sufficient trust in this man to uh, to, uh, (coughs) down all of the concoctions that he put before you?
2: The the way the book's presented, you know, it seems uh, to heighten some sort of dramatic sequence, which is, uh, I'm afraid, uh, uh, not true in real life. There are enormous gaps in between in which ordinary things took place Mm -hmm. that are not included. I didn't include them in the book because they did not pertain to the system I wanted to portray. Mm -hmm. So I I just simply took them away, you see, and that means that that the gaps between those very height states you know, uh, whatever it is. Uh, uh, since they are removed, it seems that it's a continuous crescendo, this kind of sequence leading to a very dramatic uh, 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 solution. But uh, in, in real life, it was a very simple matter, because it took years in between, you know, it took months, and months passed in between them. And uh, in the meantime, we did all, all kinds of things. We even went out hunting, he told me how to trap things. I Traps were uh, very, old, very old, old ways of setting up traps and how to catch rattlesnakes. And he told me how to prepare rattlesnakes, in fact. And uh, uh, so that eases up, you see, the, 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 dis- the distrust or the fear. I see. So there was a chance for you to build up a tremendous amount of confidence in this. Yes, path. we spent a lot of time together. And, and then he never told me what he was going to do anyways. And, but the time I realized, I was already too deep into mm-hmm.
0: the event to, to turn or turn back. And that concludes tonight's show. I hope you've enjoyed this first fireside talk. And I look forward to sharing many more with you in the future. Uh, In next week's show, I'm going to be talking about the origins of the shamanic lineage that I'm part of. That go back thousands and thousands of years. The modern lineage that I am directly connected to, like I said, started with the fall of uh, Teotihuacan. And I'll be talking about that as well. Then in, uh, in the second half of the, uh, the show, I will present the conclusion to the interview with uh, Carlos Castaneda that you've been listening to. Also, be sure to tune in for future shows because there will be times when I, I do not have the fireside talks and I have uh, guests or interviews. I have one coming up in the near future, uh, I believe in a couple of weeks, with uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Phil and Brogno about uh, their new book, The Vengeful Gin* and we will be discussing that topic. Uh, I'm going to team up with uh, Tracy Savage, and we're going to do a two-hour interview, which will start on my show and then continue directly through and play through uh, her show, Savage uh, Science. So that's one interview you're not going to want to miss. So until uh, next week, thank you for tuning in, and may you always travel on a path with heart. This is Marcus Leder, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope, 105 FM, on the Jackalope Media Network.